We want to welcome all of our listeners to the 27th episode of Minority Report with Eric and Perel. Each episode, we talk with real operators and leaders in digital media. And today, joining us is Sarah Sluice, Senior Editor at Ad Exchanger, covering digital media and ad tech. Let's jump in and get to know Sarah. Sarah, welcome. How are you? Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm holding up here um, and holding up during the coronavirus outbreak in New York City. Yeah, tell us a little bit of, about what that's like, seeing how you're probably one of the one of the busy, busiest ladies in, in the business today. <laughs> so I'm on day eight now of working at home with no childcare with my 25-month-old, two-year-old child. So it's been quite the adventure. You know, it's actually been going pretty well so far, all things considered. And I think the fact that everyone's in this together has led to a lot of empathy and understanding and lots of joking. And I did have, you know, him slip into a video call once or twice over the past eight days, and it's been fine. <laughs> you know, I think a, a lot of our listeners uh, might know who you are, but for those listeners that don't, tell us a little bit of, of, about what you do for a living, what you do at Ad Exchanger, and uh, sort of your areas of expertise. Yeah, so in this time, I'm kind of on the, the other side of, of being... <laughs> That the interviewer gets interviewed, which is a little uncomfortable for a reporter. Now I kind of know how people feel when I when I interview them. But normally I'm talking to people in digital media and ad tech, asking them what's going on, coming up with different story and feature ideas for Ad Exchanger. That's great. Tell us a little bit about your background and your identity. Tell us about your culture. Yeah, I'm a so I'm a Midwesterner actually. Um, <laughs> born and somewhat raised in the Midwest. All of my family on both sides is from the Chicago area. My dad's family is very into their Dutch heritage. My mom's a little more of a a mixture of Western European. And um, we moved to Ohio for four years when I was in elementary school. And then ever since then, my family's been on the West Coast outside the Seattle area. But I wanted to go to college on one of the coasts. I picked the East Coast and then just never left New York. So tell us about like where, where you're living now and, and sort of what, what's life like now? Um, I live in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is where a lot of parents with toddlers seem to live. So we all kind of glommed onto one place. So it's kind mm-hmm. of homogenous, I guess, in that way. <laughs> but it's also been really nice, I think, especially with what's going on right now with the coronavirus that I can still see some of my son's friends and we say hi from a six foot distance. And um, there's actually a lot of community in the neighborhood, which I appreciate because I feel like New York generally isn't like that. I wanted to add one last thing. I I wanted to sort of celebrate one of your tweets the other day because I can only imagine how difficult it is. It was when you were walking past a bagel shop with your family. (laughs) And uh, I just thought there was so much and, you know, picture can sort of tell a thousand words, right? You know, and I just, I thought it was a great tweet. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm glad that you noticed that was the, yeah, that was my my son has been scootering a lot now because we can't go to playgrounds. So yeah. <laughs> and and Sarah, yeah, I mean this is this is definitely interesting for Eric and I because you are usually the one interviewing people like us and now and now we're interviewing you. So thanks again for joining us. Curious to know how did you get into writing and reporting? 
Yeah, it's been, I'm so glad to be a writer. I love it. I don't think that I thought it was a really practical career choice. <laughs> I'm kind of seeing where journalism was headed. Um, and I always loved advertising. So my first job out of college was as a media planner at an ad agency. I was a little more interested in the creative side, but I don't even think I really knew so much. Like, what's the difference between a media person and creative person? You're at an ad agency. And I did that for a year. It was a great learning experience. I learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. And I think also it just helped me understand once I became an ad tech reporter, what it's actually like to be at an agency. But after that year, I had an opportunity to write about movies. So I took it (laughs) and grabbed that. And I wrote about movies for five years for a trade publication. And that kind of took me through, I actually joined like right on the cusp of the recession. So I was a little bit lucky there, I think. And then after five years, I was getting a little restless. I wanted to do something that was a little more, could provide a little more value to people. Because I think with film journalism, everyone loves it. They want to do it for free. There's a million movie reviews. So I ended up writing about CRM enterprise technology, which is definitely a niche where you need to be very specialized and have lots of knowledge. And that led me to Ad Exchanger after I'd been there for a while. And I I really love it. Like I love that. When I write an article, there's not going to be 50 other articles on the same topic. It's mm. something that's going to be more unique. Yeah. And, and you know, you definitely cover a wide range of topics in, in media. You talk to a lot of interesting people, our industry, even with without, you know, what's going on right now with Corona, our industry is constantly going through changes and, you know, the death of the third party cookie and, and everything else around that. What is most exciting to you about the media industry? I would say two things, the people and the pace. So the people are awesome here. Everyone is so accessible. There's a lot of startups. So I can get on the phone with the CEO or have a CEO text me (laughs) something that they want to hear about, a tip, a lead. So there's a very close relationship between journalists and senior leaders that I don't think that I got in in other jobs, like my my last job, it was covering very, very large companies where everyone you interviewed was in middle management and kind of afraid of saying the wrong thing. Whereas Mm. here, I think people have a lot of authority to just say what they want, say how they feel. They feel like they're being really honest and candid with me. And then whatever you're writing about changes every few months. There's a new thing that people are obsessed about. So you never get bored or you never have to find you know, 10 ways to rewrite the same story. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. And and obviously this podcast is about diversity and inclusion within advertising and and media. And, you know, curious to know from from your perspective and your experience, have you ever been personally discriminated against and and how have you dealt with it? Yeah. So I, this was a question that I really stuck out to me when you were sending over the question list, because it's a question that I love to ask people, (laughs) random strangers, close friends, especially people I think who work in male-dominated industries. I'm always very curious about what they'll say. And I think it will... I'm going to answer how I my answer at the very end. But what I often hear from people is who work in maybe finance or construction, project management, they'll say, no, I've never been discriminated against. But... And then they'll tell me some kind of crazy jaw-dropping story <laughs> where my I just my mind is blown because there's no way that that would ever be acceptable in my industry mm. it would be illegal and I think that a lot of people just kind of have this 
cognitive dissonance between what they're experiencing and what's right or wrong or what's discrimination. But I would actually say in a couple instances, what's interesting is that at some point after that, these people found out salary information. Mm. And maybe it's not like they, you know, accent or maybe they're giving some project where they have salary information. And all of a sudden, once you find out that there's kind of weird stuff going on and you're being paid 40% less, mm. then I think people start to connect those two things. And they're not thinking that it's just some kind of weird cultural thing that they have to deal with. So that's why I think I'm very interested to see more salary information being shared and that being kind of a movement that's yeah. going on right now, because I yeah. think that it does have the ability to create more change where people might see some things, but they're just kind of think that's the way it is. But then if there's actual numbers behind that, then that kind of can change how they, they feel about it. So I guess the way I would answer it myself is, no, I don't feel discriminated against. I think in general, I feel like it's a very fair environment. But I probably could tell you a few stories where people just said something a little condescending to me or underestimated me in a way where you're, you kind of let it slide. But I think sometimes there's a little more there. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, you know, just on, on that point, I mean, if for anyone listening that maybe feel like they're discriminated against or has a comment and they, and they don't want to let it slide, how, how would you recommend uh, someone handling something like that? Ooh. Um, I mean, I feel like what I've seen most in my personal experience is that people stay quiet about these things. They don't speak out about them. Um, there's very few people. I would say that what I do see people doing is leaving that job. So for me, that's kind of a red flag. If I see companies without a lot of senior female leadership, or I once had a, I had a CEO, CEO who was a great CEO, said to me in, in passing, oh, I just can't find any woman to hire and I can't keep them. And it was like, what? <laughs> and like, oh, like, there's, there's just no qualified woman out there. Like that to me was a huge red flag, red flag. <laughs> because like, why, why do you think like, there must be something wrong with your company if you can't keep female leadership? Because I think that's the most common way that people will deal with this problem is just to find another situation. So I don't really have a great tip for changing a situation. I will just say that through my experience, I've seen that people just tend to leave those companies. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great indicator, though. So I appreciate that answer. Yeah, yeah. I think that that to me would be anyone like interviewing for a job. Like, look at what they have. Are there female mentors that you can look to? I'll actually say for my two first jobs, and I was, you know, really young, in my 20s, they both had female, female CEOs at various times, which is so unusual. And yeah. it just, there's something that makes you feel well, way more included when your top leadership includes women. You know, um, you're at home. Everyone's at home. Um, <laughs> yeah. usually ask, we always ask this, this question uh, when people are, are going into their offices every day or a few days a week. What's the work-life balance sort of like, you know, right now during these times? So we've got you know, a few days or a couple of weeks of doing this. What's, what's it been like? Yeah, it's, it's completely upended. It's completely different from how I normally do things. I normally try to be 100% focused on family or at least 90% focused when I'm home with my husband and my toddler and just really playing with them and focusing and having dinner together and then being really focused in work. And now it's very much... 50-50, where I'm, you know, taking a phone call this morning with my boss while my son is scootering around the city because I need to get him 
you know, active enough that whole nap. And so I can work later in the afternoon. We've been switching off and then I'm checking my email at 10 o'clock at night and just shooting a few notes off just because I know I won't have time to do it, you know, until the morning or maybe the morning's hectic. So what I'm doing now is more out of necessity. I think it's better to really focus on family and focus on work and keep them more separate. But now all the normal bets are, are off and I'm just trying to get work done any way I can. Yeah, I, I will tell you that I think the one way that I'm struggling the most is just when to stop working, right? Because usually so. when you're in the office, you know, you have that point where it's like, okay, I got to go get lunch or now it's time to make my commute back to New Jersey. But now I'm in my home office and I just keep going, going and going. And so I have to kind of make it a point to like stop working, take a break and then, you know, spend time with my family and my kids. I'm wondering, Sarah, I mean, are you feeling that same sort of struggle? Yeah. Yeah. It's been very nonstop. I was looking forward to the weekend to actually relax. Like you'd think that maybe you'd have extra... I'm hearing about how everyone's streaming content because they have all this free time and I'm not not really feeling the same increase in free time. But I will say that it is really nice to be able to take that moment with my family where I can just you know, take my, get my exercise and then everyone's trying to do, but I'm doing it while chasing after my son and making sure he stops before he crosses the street on his scooter and getting fresh air that way. So it's been nice to have breaks with family. And then it makes me feel maybe a little bit less guilty about the times that I'm trying to be on the phone or, you know, answering an email while he's playing on the floor, you know, running around. Right. What's it like being a mom sort of in the times of Corona right now? Um, you know, I've been thinking about like, what would be worse, like being kind of a single person who's just alone and isolated and so lonely, who has no family around or being a parent of a young kid or a teenager or someone where you have to teach uh, them in elementary school. I think they're all bad in their own way (laughs) and um, (laughs) all have their own advantages. And so (laughs) I will say that, you know, it's, it's just nice to spend a little more time with family, even if it's not as focused on them as I, as I'm used to. Um, Yeah. You know, and I, this is going to be temporary, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's always interesting. We talk to a lot of folks and, and uh, you know, we're, we're always curious about, either time they spend with other people and, and time that people spend with them. And, you know, sometimes you're on your own and sometimes you're with a lot of, of people, you know, do you have other folks that you sort of work with you to sort of groom you in your career? Or is there anyone that you spend time with to sort of, I don't want to say mentor, but just sort of time with help develop. That's always an interesting sort of thing to think about, you know? I mean, you know, never, I've never had a formal mentor or mentored someone really. And I, I want one. How do you get for mentor dating? Can I, can I, can I get matched up with one? Um, But, um, but, you know, I do think that, you know, one thing I've noticed is that since becoming a mom, I think that's actually enabled me to have closer relationships with a lot of my sources who are also working moms, because you just have this one extra thing that you're bonding with them about and having a young child and being a working parent, there's just so much there. So I think that I've become a lot closer to those sources just because we have this other thing in common. I think with that, you you know, when people can really feel comfortable and be honest with you, it makes you a better journalist. And then hopefully you can also share stuff back to them that helps them do their jobs better. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I was thinking about like how well informed you you are because of how close you are to everything in the business. What do you sort of read to sort of stay on top of besides ad exchanger and, and sort of working with your colleagues? Are there other things that you you sort of pay attention to that, that sort of help inform you? Within ad tech, I'm reading all the usual trades. I have on Twitter, I have a special private group I created um, or curated list, I think is what it's called. It's called Digital Media Journals. And I have all of my the people in digital media that I should be following. A few of the ad tech influencers are in there. So I can kind of quickly scan through there and see what people are saying, keep on top of social media. But I also think it's really important to get a different, broader perspective on our industry or outside of the industry. I'm very interested in how I see advertising and technology covered by mainstream media. Um, I think the New Yorker, I'm a big New Yorker person. I feel like many journalists love the New Yorker and to see how they cover technology is very interesting and very intellectual. And they've written, you know, a number of pieces that are very relevant for our industry. And then maybe on the other end, I've been watching 60 Minutes ever since I was a child. I don't catch it every every time. But um, you know, when you when you watch how a tech story is covered on 60 Minutes or like a CBS Sunday morning, it's really like this totally different perspective in terms I love of it. I love you know, it. Facebook, a social yeah. networking platform. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the trade desk once made an appearance on, on 60 Minutes. I saw them for a few minutes and I was like, what? Like, uh, I can't believe I'm seeing them there. So I think I consume a ton of media. And uh, I think getting kind of the other perspectives that are outside of your bubble are really important. Yeah. You might be the only other person that admits to watching CBS Sunday Morning News. I, I love it. <laughs> I feel like it's like 60 Minutes. I feel like it's like 60 Minutes Light with Culture. You know what I mean? And it's just like, uh, it's one of my uh, guilty pleasures. So uh, I'm, I'm airing it out right now. I'm the one who likes to watch that. And I'm, I've just I've been dragged along. <laughs> and I don't mind it, right? Yeah. So Sarah, uh, I, I do want to ask you a, another question. Maybe again, going back to, you know, you covered the industry so well. You, you speak to so many different people. You have your pulse on sort of what's next, what's around the corner from the space, in the space. What advice would you give to anyone new that is either coming out of school now that wants to get into media space or even just making a, a career switch and, and moving into our space? What advice would you give to, to that individual? Be a hard worker. You can't go wrong with, with working hard. I think, you know, be forgiving of yourself when you make mistakes and realize that some of your biggest failures will be your biggest learning experiences. You end up in a job that's not the right fit or you make some mistake. I think that's often where you can learn or grow the most. I also think that when you're in a really great work environment, you're often given freedom to try new things and make some mistakes. I think that's a work environment that I personally thrive in. So I think maybe find what kind of work environment you thrive in. Try to work for good bosses and good Good teams where you will learn good habits that will take you further in your career. Easier said than done, but yeah, definitely. Great advice, though. Great advice. And now for a, a fun question that I love asking all of our guests, which <laughs> is give me the top three apps on your phone, but you can't name email or calendar. So I think I have three good ones, three, four actually. So one is Todoist, which is I just recently got that one instead of Wonderlist, and that's. We, I use that with my husband to coordinate. It's like a shared to-do calendar. 
So we'll write down different stuff we need. We keep our grocery list on there and are just in general way more organized than we were before we had a to-do list on our phone. Mm. The second one is Tiny Beans, which is an Australian app that you can use to post pictures of your children every day. And I love it. We like it because it's a slightly more private way. Maybe I'm kind of waffling my hands um, to share pictures of family. And then you're also not overwhelming everyone with tons of pictures. And especially I've heard a lot of feedback from my more elderly relatives that it just makes their day so happy because they get an email with these pictures and videos of my son and they just love it. So that's been a really fun one. And then the third one is this app called otter.ai, which is will uh, transcribe your interview in real time as you're recording it. And it's definitely saved me a lot of time transcribing interviews. It's You can't use the transcription, but it does give you enough information that you can just kind of repeat the sentences that you didn't find so clear. And then the fourth one is I have a bookmark to add exchange on my home screen and I use it to keep in touch with what everyone has written over the past day. There you go. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. A lot of our listeners like to continue the conversation. How can our listeners sort of find you and uh, find a way to stay in touch with you? Probably. I'm uh, on Twitter at Sarah Sluice and you can email me at Sarah with an H at adexchanger.com. And I actually, I love getting emails. I really do. So shoot me an email. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks again. And thanks all, all, the, all the watchers and all the listeners for joining us. You can find us where you find all your streaming and all your video. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.